Good afternoon and welcome to Medallia's first quarter of Fiscal 2022 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in the listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. With that, I would like to turn the call over to Roxanne Alman, Medallia's Chief Financial Officer, for introductory remarks. Roxanne? Thank you, Erica. Welcome to Medallia's first quarter 2022 earnings conference call. We issued our earnings release a short time ago and furnished the related Form 8K to the FTC. To access the press release, please see the Investor Relations section of our website. With me on the call today is Leslie Stretch, President and CEO of Medallia. Before we begin, please remember, during the course of this call, we expect to make forward-looking statements about the operations and future results at Medallia that may vary and involve many assumptions, risks, and uncertainties, including those related to the COVID-19 pandemic. To the extent possible, our forward-looking statements seek to take into account the impact of COVID-19. However, the crisis that this pandemic has created is very fluid and the situation is constantly evolving. If any of the risks or uncertainties related to the forward-looking statements develop, or if any of the assumptions related to the forward-looking statements prove incorrect, actual results could differ materially from those expressed or implied on our forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statements are based on information available to us as of the date hereof, and Medallia undertakes no obligation and does not intend to update the statements as a result of new information or future events except as required by law. For a discussion of risk factors associated with the forward-looking statement, please refer to the text in the company's press release issued today and to our periodic reports filed with the SEC, including our Form 10-K dated March 22, 2021. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statement. On the call today, we will refer to both GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures, the non-revenue financial figures discussed today are non-GAAP unless stated that the measure is a GAAP number. Please refer to today's press release for a reconciliation of GAAP to non-GAAP financial performance and additional disclosures regarding these measures. Additionally, in conjunction with the release of our earnings report, we have posted on our website at medallia.com under the Investor Relations section additional charts that identify trended metric performance that we believe will aid in understanding and evaluating our performance over time. Now, I'll turn the call over to Wesley. Thank you, Roxanne. Good afternoon, everyone. Before I begin, I would like to thank every medallion for their hard work and superb execution in Q1. I was pleased with our progress in the quarter. We had record top-line revenues and record SaaS revenues. In Q1, subscription revenues came in over $2 million above the high end of our outlook. We had a record 240-plus go-lives in the quarter, better than any prior quarter. During Q1, we added nearly 70 new enterprise logos. Our platform and signal strategy is delivering in the market and clearly sets us apart from the survey software vendors, as evidenced by our wins in the quarter, which spanned many verticals and geographies and included Hewlett Packard Enterprise, Oracle Corporation, LinkedIn, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, Brinks Home Security, Hot Topic, Gilead Sciences, Telus Canada, 
Vizier Canada, The Container Store, Coyote Logistics, Franciscan Health, Southwestern Health Resources, Continental Properties, and Terex. Internationally, we won Marks and Spencers in the UK, Valentino in Italy, and Tame Group, the gambling conglomerate in the UK, Real Mutua, Italy's biggest mutual insurer, Freeman Grattan Holdings in the UK, SE Bank in Sweden, Victoria University in Melbourne, Yorkshire Building Society, Cantar in Asia Pacific, Versace again in Italy, Itachi in Japan, and Chalu Group, the leading luxury retail and distribution business in Dubai, and Avianca Air, the flag-carrying Colombian airline. Worthy of special note is our progress in Q1 with several breakthrough deals in the technology sector at Oracle, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and LinkedIn, all very significant wins for our company. HPE will leverage Medallia technology to provide real-time feedback and insights to its global sales force and partner network. And Oracle will use Medallia's platform to help drive engagement within its customer base. At the same time, we're collaborating on an integration between Medallia and Oracle CX service. I also want to report that we are breaking through in public sector. Medallia Experience Cloud has earned certified status for information security by high trust. This achievement places us in an elite group of organizations worldwide that have earned this certification, reinforcing that Medallia is the most capable and secure platform for feedback data capture and privacy and security on the market. In the same quarter, we achieved FedRAM high authorization. We're only one of a handful of SaaS companies to hold this certification. This allows us to provide Medallia to all agencies of the U.S. government enabling the U.S. Department of Defense, for example, to promptly invest in their first program with Medallia. The University of Minnesota is leveraging Privacity, our crowdsourcing and ideas platform, to accelerate collaboration between parents, students, and teachers as they reimagine the 2021-22 school year. While on the topic of education, the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, another new logo in public sector, is leveraging Medallia to more effectively connect students and employers facilitating job creation and the advancement of our collective mission to prioritize equity and diversity. We continue to see that once a company purchases Medallia, they use it extensively and expand quickly. The Port Authority of New York, New Jersey, expanded their uses of Medallia last quarter after only 90 days of results with their first program. The United States Postal Service renewed their multi-year contract with us as a provider of valued services to USPS employees and customers. The Veterans Administration is another example. As a medallion client for several years, we are proud to contribute to their record levels of trust among veterans. Last quarter, the VA further expanded their uses of medallia. The VA will now leverage medallia's crudicity across their entire organization, including VA medical centers, to ensure they are capturing valuable ideas from their broad network of constituents. Just two weeks ago, we held our annual customer conference, Experience 21. We have had over 65,000 views of our experience content so far. We ran live interactive feedback in Medallia Experience Cloud during the event, and our ratings improved 30% over the prior year. Our celebrities are our customers, and we have fabulous keynotes, cameos, and interactive sessions with some of the best brands in the world. Our product keynote included a wave of new announcements, including adaptive text analytics, next-generation insights to power our customers' success the Medallia Digital Suite, 
which now captures and processes omnichannel digital behavior through machine learning and automatically calculates the digital experience score for every virtual visit. The virtual contact center is becoming the front line of customer experience. Contact centers witnessed an increase of 300% more calls than usual during the pandemic, and a corresponding increase in digital interactions, chat, and emails occurred. This all happened while 90% of global contact center agents were forced to work from home. With 72% of consumers likely to switch companies as a result of poor service, it is vital that we coach individuals in our customers' virtual contact centers to be high-performing and representative of brand for best experience. We have two key technologies to address the needs of the virtual contact center, Vidalia Speech and Stella Connect, as well as great partnerships with companies like Five Nines to help us build the contact center solutions of the future. Turning to our employee experience capability, our employee experience customer count grew to nearly 150, an increase of approximately 50% in less than a year. Treating employees like customers and creating the same high-fidelity understanding of the employee experience has never been more crucial. Our new employee MicroPulse digital EX solution allows companies to capture in-the-moment feedback through any app for all employees. At the same time, our new employee MicroPulse diversity and inclusion solution helps organizations understand how company culture and inclusion positively impacts the work environment. Our new industry employee experience benchmarks for HR leaders, powered by our partnership with DecisionWise, gives our customers the ability to compare important internal metrics with peers. We also announced our new market research leader experience, a fully self-service ad hoc survey platform with a variety of market research question types and the ability to capture video feedback all in one. You can launch a research project and a survey in minutes. We announced total experience profiles powered by Medallia's experience data platform. Total experience profiles leveraging signals from 100% of experiences to provide a complete timeline of every interaction with your company, whether online, phone, via chat, or in person. Total experience profiles enable informed actions in sales, marketing, and service by delivering lifetime access to sentiment and feedback history. This enables the ultimate personalization context for optimized customer interaction. We continue to make progress with our all-important ecosystem. As I previously reported, we were awarded America's top app developer partner of the year by ServiceNet, and Medallia was named the fastest growing ISV partner of the year for Salesforce. Just recently, we were also awarded Digital Experience Global ISV Partner of the Year for Adobe. In addition, we just launched early availability of upcoming new applications for Microsoft Dynamics, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and Oracle Service Cloud. At the same time, we just announced the Medallia Developer Network, a complete suite of open APIs, a no-code, low-code development platform for partners and developers to easily build connectors and applications, which they can then publish on Medallia Exchange, our application directory. We've also intensified our focus on environmental and social goals. Employees are taking a stand and expecting their executives to listen and act. Today, employee activism is shaping the C-level agenda in ways we've never really seen before. Medallia is putting this front and center by bringing on Rene Carriol as a leader to focus on our environmental, social, and governance policies and goals. We just released our first global impact report that adopted the SASB Sustainability Accounting Standards Board reporting framework. Now, looking forward, Q2 has started well, with the talk showing in the Forrester way. 
As I mentioned, we also had a record number of attendees at our annual experience conference with superb in-the-moment feedback accessible for all sessions. Our opportunity pipeline is healthy. You've heard me talk before about the importance of connecting insight to action. In this vein, we already executed in Q2 our largest ever messaging deal with a major hotel chain, delivering a completely touchless messaging service to over 1,000 global hotels, giving guests the ability to order services, check out, and communicate with the hotel personnel and systems, whilst at the same time preserving the messaging data as well as feedback for insight discovery. I'm very excited about our prospects. We're focused on execution for the rest of this year, with a larger team of quota-bearing salespeople and growing channel capability, with more product to sell than our rivals, and an unmatched reputation as the innovation leader, backed up by the opinions of the most credible industry analysts and partners. We're well-positioned to re-accelerate our sub subscription growth in FY22. I'll now hand over to Roxanne to cover our financial performance in more detail. Thank you, Leslie, and good afternoon, everyone. We reported strong Q1 financial results, including record total revenue and record subscription revenue. As a quick reminder, unless otherwise noted, all numbers except revenue mentioned during my remarks today are non-GAAP. You can find a reconciliation from GAAP to non-GAAP results in today's press release. Total revenue for Q1 was $131.4 million, an increase of $18.7 million, or 17%, over Q1 of fiscal 2021. In Q1, subscription revenues were $106.1 million, an increase of $17.1 million, or 19% year-over-year. Revenue generated outside of North America in Q1 represented 23% of total revenue. As we've shared with you on the past few calls, we have modified subscription terms, flexible payment or invoicing terms in exchange for extensions of existing contracts for certain customers hardest hit by the pandemic. On average, the extension period was for one additional year. Consistent with what we projected on our prior earnings calls, the modified terms have negatively impacted our subscription revenue in Q1 by approximately $1 million and by approximately $4 million over the past 12 months. Looking ahead, we expect that this is the last quarter that we will have, we will experience these headwinds. As a reminder, the majority of our contracts are multi-year, irrevocable, include contracted minimums, and we expect our customers to honor their agreements. Professional services revenue was $25.3 million for the quarter, which increased 7% year over year as we continue to build out our partner ecosystem. Turning to some key metrics. We continue to see strong growth in new logos. We ended the quarter with over 1,240 enterprise customers, an increase of 59% year over year. In addition, we have over 875 mid-market customers. For the 12 months ended April 30th, 2021, our dollar-based net retention rate was 111%. Over the past three quarters, we had seen strength in bookings from net new customers. We believe this bodes well for the future of our land and expand strategy. Our dollar-based net retention rate was negatively impacted by one percentage point due to the concessions I discussed earlier. Turning to RPO, or remaining performance obligations, as I have shared with you before, our RPO metrics are impacted by contract duration and extension, as well as timing of renewals for large multi-year contracts. So while RPO provides for strong visibility, it may fluctuate. As of April 30th, 
total RPO was $798 million, an increase of 26% year-over-year. Current RPO, which is the amount we expect to recognize as revenue over the next 12 months, totaled $397 million, an increase of 23% year-over-year. We expect the to recognize 50% of total RPO in the next 12 months. I'll now turn to our non-GAAP gross margins and operating expenses. Subscription gross margin was 81% compared to 83% in the year-ago quarter. The decline in subscription gross margin is primarily due to investments in infrastructure we have made as we scale both organically and inorganically. In Q1, professional services gross margin was 16%, compared to 18% in the year-ago quarter. We continue to focus on building out our partner ecosystem, so we expect professional services gross margin will be approximately 10% in Q2. Sales and marketing expenses in Q1 were $60.6 million, or 46% of revenue. We continue to invest in productive sales capacity. R&D expenses were $25.8 million for the quarter, or 20% of revenue. Our go-to-market initiatives and R&D both remain an important investment area as we expand our platform. G&A expenses were $13.8 million, or 10% of revenue in the quarter. We expect additional leverage on the G&A line over time. Non-GAAP operating loss in the quarter was $10.5 million, compared to operating income of $3.5 million in the year-ago quarter. Non-GAAP net loss was $12.1 million, compared to income of $3.1 million in Q1 of last year. Now, turning to the balance sheet, we ended Q1 with $540.5 million in cash and marketable securities. Subscription deferred revenue was $232.7 million, an increase of 21% year-over-year. Let's move on to discuss subscription billing, which we define as subscription revenue plus change in sequential subscription deferred revenue and contract assets. As you know, there are a wide variety of factors that may influence this metric. Therefore, quarter-to-quarter fluctuations in billing should not be taken as an indication of changes in future revenue. For Q1 of fiscal 2022, our trailing 12-month subscription billings growth rate was 18%. Adjusted for decibels required deferred revenue, the billings growth rate would have been 17%. As a reminder, On a trailing 12-month basis, subscription billings were negatively impacted by approximately $10 million, primarily due to new bookings with invoicing terms that ramped over a multi-year period. Now turning to cash flow, we generated $14.3 million in cash from operations during the quarter, representing an operating cash flow margin of 11%. As a reminder, we've historically experienced seasonality in cash flow from operations, given that over 40% of our billings occur in the fourth quarter. As a result, our operating cash flow has been positive in Q1 and Q4, followed by cash flow from operations being negative in Q2 and Q3, as it has been in the past few years. We anticipate this seasonality to continue. Now moving to guidance. For Q2, we expect subscription revenue to be in the range of $113 to $114 million, representing growth of 22 to 23% year-over-year. We are projecting total revenue to be between $137 to $139 million, representing growth of 19 to 20% year-over-year. For Q2, we expect non-GAAP operating loss to be in the range of $12.5 to $11.5 million. 
Looking ahead, we expect other income and expense to be a quarterly expense between five and $800,000, primarily due to interest expense associated with our convertible debt. We project income tax to be a quarterly expense in the range of $600,000 to $1.1 million. In Q2, we anticipate basic weighted shares outstanding to be approximately $160 million and fully diluted weighted shares outstanding to be in the range of $184 to $185 million. Finally, we anticipate our capital expenditures in Q2 to be approximately $8 million, primarily related to enhancing our data centers to meet customer demand. For fiscal 2022, we are increasing our guidance for subscription revenue from $465 to $469 million to a range of $467 to $471 million, representing a subscription growth rate of 22 to 23% over the prior year. We are also increasing our guidance for total revenue from 563 to 567 million to a range of 566 to 570 million, representing a growth rate of approximately 19%. We continue to expect revenue to follow a similar pattern for this year with more than 50% of annual revenue to be recognized in the seasonally stronger second half. Professional services revenue growth is projected to be in the low single digits as we have significantly expanded and plan to continue to expand the number of SI partners for this year. For fiscal 2022, we expect non-GAAP operating loss to be in the range of 22 to $20 million. For fiscal 2022, we expect basic weighted shares outstanding to be approximately $164 million and fully diluted weighted shares outstanding to be in the range of $185 to $187 million. Finally, we continue to expect our capital expenditures in fiscal 2022 to be a little over $30 million. Leslie and I will now take your questions. Operator? As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by for we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question is from Rob Oliver with Baird. Great. Thank you guys very much, and apologize uh, if, if for the connection if it's not great. Um, uh, Leslie, question for you. Um, uh, just on the Fed opportunity, obviously very exciting. Uh, you know, we've been tracking VA for a while, and the nice expansion there. You also mentioned DOD. Um, you know, do, do you have all the, the feet on the ground that you need in Fed um, to execute on the opportunity now, or is that still a part of the sales hiring ramp? And then is it going to be a normal – Fed spend year, I know a lot of employees are going to be at home, and does that also create an opportunity for you guys on the um, employee experience sales side um, for Fed? So a lot in there. I, I appreciate that. Then I have a quick follow-up for Roxanne. Uh, no, super question. Um, well, I, I've got all of our team are probably listening to this, so if I tell them we've got enough feet on the street, they'll all be shaking their heads. There's a lot <laughs> of opportunity, and, and so I think the answer is no. We need to keep uh, putting, but quality is the key, you know, and uh, we keep, we've got a great quality team uh, in government actually around the world now. We're building up public sector, but obviously uh, the dominant group is in the U.S., but they're emboldened by the fact that we're the only company with FedRAMP, FedRAMP High, and High Trust. Nobody can touch us in terms of scalability and security. You know, the survey software vendors really are just not there, and it's going to take them a massive investment to get there. It took us plenty of time. 
uh, we did it the smart way. You know, it's, it's a big investment. And so short answer is the room for more, uh, and we're, we're about getting them in. And then in terms of the employee experience piece, you know, employee experience is so important. Treat uh, your employees like customers. And in the, in the government case, treat your employees the way you want citizens to be treated. I think connecting them is a great opportunity, and definitely the major agencies do see that, and they're engaged. So it's an exciting time to be present in that market. Great. Thanks, Leslie. Appreciate it. And Roxanne, just one follow-up for you. You know, um, appreciated, you know, the details around um, the modification of the billing terms, you know, and obviously market improvement relative to last quarter. And I know you said this is the last quarter where that, you know, would be an impact. Is that just purely because of the um, improvement in the end markets? Is there anything else that you guys have done from a product perspective or bundling or anything uh, else that, that, that you guys have done to address that? Or is it is that just, you know, your end markets getting better, which, you know, sounds like with Avianco and, you know, with, with the hotel deal, it sounds like a, your end markets are, are, are decidedly improved. But just curious on that. Thanks, guys. Rob, the, the concessions that we made were early on in the pandemic as some of our customers had been impacted. Now, as we've progressed forward, we have seen the overall markets and, you know, for example, you see leisure travel. Leisure travel is coming back, uh, I'll say, I'll be bold and say with a vengeance. Um, but, you know, so what we've seen is the, from the concessions early on, we have seen overall improvements. Um, we've seen overall demand, especially in travel and hospitality, as I said, around the leisure side. But as I say that, I want us to think about corporate travel, and corporate travel has not recovered um, to, where, to the levels it was before. And I'm not sure when corporate travel um, will recover and to what level. However, I don't expect that the corporate travel um, will result in any additional concessions based on what I've seen at this point in time. So. Um, I'm pleased with what I see from the change over the last several quarters. Great. Thank you guys again. Thanks, Rob. Your next question is from Daniel Bardis with Bank of America. Hi, this is Ashley Tanika on for Dan. Thanks for taking my question. Um, my question is around new logos. Congrats. Your new logos have been growing really strongly. So I wanted to understand, is that more of a greenfield opportunity, or do you see it as replacing existing vendors and have the competitive dynamics changed at all? Thanks so much. Yeah, great question. I mean, you know, uh, replacement uh, is not really uh, that, that, that exciting uh, thing for us. But when we are replacing technology, we're replacing survey software with much broader signal capture, with a much richer digital capability, you know, it's really digital transformation of the traditional survey. So it's not quite a replacement like for like. It's not not the way that we think about it. Um, so we're doing something different. We're capturing video, voice, messaging, ideas, the broad spectrum of, of feedback that our customers need, a much, much richer data pool, and we've got a much more sophisticated operational system for the distribution of lifetime feedback that the others don't have. So we're just doing a very different thing. And that's resonating, and it's now implementable very quickly. And you know, we've got much more self-service and ease of use and automation in the product and in the platform. We've doggedly invested in that. We've continued and persisted to deliver on that. Um, we had, I'll give you two examples. We had a container store going live in under uh, three weeks, and we had D2L just go live in Canada, a great learning company, in 30 days. They signed their contract and went live in the same quarter. 
Uh, and so that's a testament to how quick it is to get this rich digital platform up and running way beyond the traditional survey vendor's capability and can. Your next That's question good to hear. Thank you. Your next Thank question you. is from Chad Bennett with Craig Hellum. Great. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. A nice job uh, coming out of the gates on the year. Um, so, I mean, if I look at uh, the new customer account, um, I mean, mid-market was, was very good, but even even your enterprise uh, new customer account, I thought, especially maybe for a first quarter, looked very good. And, and Roxanne, you sound certainly more constructive on, on the impacted verticals um, than you have up for pretty much a year. Um, so, I, I guess, what would you attribute, you know, the, the new logo on the enterprise front um, you know, the, this, well, my perceived strength there. And also, are, are we to a point now where um, we can think about um, you know, moving to, to kind of existing business, but we can think about net expansion, uh, you know, kind of accelerating more aggressively? I understand it's a 12-month look back, but do you have any kind of near-term data points that, that could, that you leave, you believe we're, we're going to see kind of a improvement there? Well, that's a great question, John. I and mean, I think when you stand back, though, and look at what is 1,800 or so total customers with annual contracts, whatever it is, um, it's a small number, relatively, to be honest. It's great. It's, it's good. It's very solid. They're great. It's great quality. But there's a massive market here. There's a massive market here. We have invested uh, in go-to-market in our field and marketing to capture that. And so that's where my focus is. I do think that the net retention will resolve nicely. Uh, uh, over time, but right now it's about net new, to be honest, and you've seen in the last six months, um, you know, that, that winning that battle of the new is fantastic. It's great for um, the confidence of the team and the company. It's great for, it reassures us around our product strategy, which is absolutely spot on, on target. And so that's really the focus. But I think over time, you know, we'd like to be in a higher place on, on, on the net retention. But as I said, let's focus on winning and landing and expanding over time. Right. And then, Roxanne, any, any, any other follow-up just in, in terms of, you know, the, the again, the expansion potential or, or, or maybe kind of nearer-term uh, metrics you're seeing um, around that? Yeah, Chad, you're right. When you look at our net retention rate, it is a backward-looking metric, and, you know, it has been impacted by a couple of things. One, it's been impacted by the concession Two, although our overall gross retention rate has increased slightly over the last 12 months, um, the customers that were in these impacted industries did not expand at the same levels that they had historically prior to the pandemic year. So when I looked at it, you know, I anticipate that our um, NDR rate will be consistent in Q2, and then we will um, have some uptick, as Leslie said. Um, as we move forward, and, you know, we may see some uptick in the Thanks. Nice job. Thanks, Chad. Your next question is from Matt Venzelis with BTIG. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking the question. Um, wanted to focus in on, on the contact center opportunity um, that you talked about, and you've really been investing heavily around. Uh, you know, at this point, even at the customers that you are providing uh, services to, do you have a sense of sort of how much of the total spend 
um, you're capturing now versus what the platform is ultimately capable of doing. Um, and then also as you look out, you know, are you primarily in cloud-based contact centers now, um, or have you been able to, to penetrate some of the legacy uh, larger on-prem versions as well? Yeah, great question. It's really a new focus uh, for the company and the technical capability that comes from Medallia Speech, which is the voice transcription and text analytics combined, and also the fabulous technology that we acquired with Stellar Connect are new. They're a couple of quarters old in our hands, a couple of quarters, and we've made some fantastic deals and great strides with the technology. But what's become clear, we've got some best of class. I, I, I would call Williams-Sonoma I want to know my best-in-class implementation of a lifetime coaching of contact center personnel using Stellar Connect. You've got some fabulous brands, leading brands out there, but there's a huge number of opportunities for us to show what can be done connecting feedback to a cloud contact center. And, yes, we do have customers where it's a more traditional, uh, well, as you said, more legacy uh, on-prem contact center capabilities. Well, we're agnostic as to whether it's cloud or not. But we formed a nice partnership, Five Nines, that we're very excited about. Um, it's only a few months into that. Uh, it's a massive opportunity, though, to your point. It's just, it's huge for us. And the survey companies are not there. It's something very different. Being aware of the topography of the cloud contact center is something that is very important to us, and we see great opportunity there. Great, that's helpful. And then, um, Roxanne, in terms of the, the ramp up in, in sales hiring in particular, um, have, have we sort of reached a, a good cadence that we're at here, or is there still more build likely, uh, kind of the so, levels you're expecting? Matt, we're only one month into the ramp up that we've talked about, or one quarter, excuse me, into the ramp up that we've talked about from a sales hiring perspective. So we have started to make some of this hiring. We are on path in regards to our hiring plan. We do anticipate that we will continue to make some additional hiring um, moves this year, specifically in our mid-market and in certain markets in our enterprise space where we have seen strength in some of the verticals um, and also from a geography perspective. Um, we've seen a lot of strength in EMEA, so that's another area, and they, like I said, the verticals in North America. All right, thank you. Our next question is from Richard Baldry with Roth Capital Partners. Thanks. I wonder if you could do a little bit of a deep dive into the mid-market segment, uh, sort of as a newer area for you, how you feel about uh, the current utilization, sort of the, the marketing execution to support it for lead generation, you know, maybe contrast that to your enterprise and how much room you think you have to, to move the dials on those things. Thanks. Yeah, well, mid-market is, uh, has been uh, a super opportunity for us uh, where the company, as you probably know, didn't really play. We were enterprise exclusive. We have brought on great land and expand deals, fabulous new verticals, and we're very excited about it. We've invested significantly in our virtual sales force that's very capable and productive. And they can land and expand with a dozen or so modules. They, and, but we've been very pleased with Medallia Experience Cloud take up in the mid-market. And some of the deals have been significant, you know, some mid-six-figure deals. There's also a channel dimension to the mid-market that we're just getting started on with some new uh, reseller capability that we'll uh, probably talk about in more detail in coming days and weeks. 
where uh, we have some great uh, global footprints that have come over to us from the survey software world who really want to get into this omni-channel digital transformation that we deliver through our platform, our uh, hub and spoke model, platform and signal as we call it. And so uh, very excited about the growth in the mid-market, very pleased with the performance of the team. They did very well in Q4 and again uh, in Q1. Then you've actually continued to be active in M&A even while COVID's been sort of an overhang to portability. How do you think that changes or the environment's changing, you know, with the COVID sort of easing at least domestically as a headwind? I think that our M&A um, around bringing in signals that were part of the platform already, helping customers get that solution without them having to integrate it on their site. You know, from us, they can get voice, video, messaging ideas. They can get the full spectrum of capability. Or you can buy a survey software product and then add on voice from somebody else, add on video from somebody else, and you do the integration. I know which way I would go. It just doesn't make any sense to do that. And that has captured the imagination of the industry analysts, which has really been important for us. You know, we got a great showing from Forrester based on the execution of this strategy. Um, but I think we've also taken a lot of medicine around uh, acquisitions. And so but it's, I think we're going to be proven to be right as things unfold here. We can see it. It's decisive in our enterprise wins to have all of that signal capture and some of the other technology that we've acquired, we've acquired for now. This year's execution year. This is all the execution. We've got enough. We might do the odd tuck-in here and there. Nothing like um, the last acquisition that we did, Decibel, which was um, uh, a significant one for us. Uh, but the rest of this year is execution. We have enough. You know, we've got plenty of that, and we need now to focus on our channel uh, evolution and build, focus on global and vertical expansion. You know, we have relatively small footprints in APAC in Latin America. NIA is getting bigger and have a fantastic run here. Um, so that's what we're focused on, execution for the rest of the year. Last thing would be, if we think about your guide for sequential growth, it's it's very strong, sort of above what we've seen for quite a while now. Is there anything unusual in that, or do you feel like this is sort of getting back to normal business um, from an overall perspective? Thanks. No, Rich, there's nothing unusual in that guide. What our guide reflects is our overall strength that we see in the pipeline, the overall strength that we see in the business. Um, and as you know, Rich, when we provide a guide, whether it's a quarterly guide or whether it is an annual guide, it is going to be a guide that we feel comfortable with. So this is purely a reflection of what we see going on in our business. Great. Congrats on a good start to year. Thank you. Our next question is from Baden Siri with William Blair. Hey, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yep. Great. Congratulations. Uh, it was a great set of uh, numbers, and uh, the record goal lives was great, too. I guess let, let me start there with the record goal lives. You know, um, you, you, you gave us some color a couple of quarters ago about sort of average number of modules adopted. I'd love to understand if you're seeing the initial um, number of modules or deal sizes change with the new customers, especially sort of towards the end of the pandemic. You know, I know when you'd come in, Leslie, you'd broken it down from million-dollar deals. We'll take, you know, smaller deal sizes will grow. But are you seeing the small deal sizes expand as you've added so much more product to the base from an in initial land perspective? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we are seeing some of that. We saw a little bit in Q4 and again in Q1. 
but we really are focused on giving our sales force the ability to meet the customers where they are. You know, we have we we come up against companies that are selling survey. What the company wants, the, the customer wants, is digital, and they want unsolicited digital. So the new decibel capability, voice of the silent majority, they want that. And so we are, you know, we're really focused on landing customers first, and uh, you know, um, adding on products uh, later. But we have had some great wins that are a combination of full digital, so interactive digital and unsolicited digital, and survey. For example, we've had a lot of customers taking ideas and video independently and then coming back for survey later. So we've got the opportunity to really enter accounts from many different angles with our buyer population that's really hungry for digital transformation versus just the liquid paper, simple survey stuff that's out there. So that's really what's going on. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then I wanted to touch on sort of this idea of AI and automation, but tied to different data sets. So you could obviously automate, like, you know, uh, someone complains about a menu, they'll get directed to the food and beverage director at a hotel, and they can solve that problem. And you've got that technology. You've got partially AI, partially routing, partially workflow in there. But, but there's this concept of sort of observing a user and watching where they get stuck in a process and understanding that without having people look at it, sort of an AI-based computer vision learning process. Help me think through where that fits in in the data scheme, maybe the customer experience or employee experience scheme, the training scheme, and, and how, how, how does Medallia sort of absorb that data to drive a better outcome? Well, that's a great question. There's so many dimensions to that. that if we take the digital experience piece first, you know, that's why we wanted to own Decibel rather than just be a partner with Decibel yeah. and others who look at that unsolicited spectrum that you talk about. And we wanted to own that. And they have that capability. And we have the capability to understand the behavior of cohorts of customers. You know, just simple things like a breakdown in navigation on a website, abandoned transactions, you know, what reasons why, you know, what are the reasons of using the machine learning capabilities to understand and interpret and infer has turned out to be invaluable to our customers. When you combine that, with interactive feedback and combine that with digital interactive feedback or combine that with physical behavior of a customer who's crossing channels, digital and physical, the insights are absolutely golden for our customers. Gotcha, gotcha. I'll, uh, I'll jump back in here. I had a couple of calls, so I'll jump back in here. Thank you, though. Congrats. Thanks. Your next question is from Brian Schwartz with Oppenheimer. Yeah, hi, thanks for taking my questions this afternoon. Just wanted to ask you a question on the partner channel. Um, actually, two on it. You know, one, if you're seeing any meaningful change with the partner velocity of the deals or, or in the execution, the second question on the partner channel is just on the Oracle announcement. Um, did I hear it right that um, you're starting out with service with Oracle? Is that correct in, in not sales or employee? And then I guess the follow-up would be is if there's opportunities to expand that partnership down the road. Yeah, I think with Oracle, that's where we're starting out, but there's opportunity for us to obviously expand. And, of course, they've also become a customer, so their knowledge of the platform and its, uh, its value across the spectrum of sales and service and marketing, it's just going to get better and better. So early days, and that's where we're starting. And then the other question was putting Oracle aside, what you're seeing in general from the partner cha channel, 
Um, you've been scaling that over the last couple of years. I'm just wondering if you're saying as employees are getting back to work and the economy is opening up more, if you're seeing any meaningful change in the velocity of deals or, or in the execution on that side of the business. Yeah, you know, I think it's one quarter. I mean, just to give you color, you know, we look at we're looking at um, herd immunity and vaccination rates on a, around the world. We're looking again today at all the major countries around the world. So we're focusing our efforts on those reopening economies. Um, and so are our, our channel, you know, the, um, the different segments of the channel have really started to come alive for us. The SI certainly, um, it was a major SI department that is on Mars and Spencer's in the UK, for example, but also the um, independent software vendors, the other major cloud vendors have turned out to be a good source of opportunity for us. And then lastly, the seller uh, community is a big opportunity. Um, we were just able to bring over um, a survey survey vendors uh, largest one of their largest international resellers uh, into our fold uh, because they wanted more access to the full spectrum of technology that we have and our more sophisticated powerful capability which is understandable and so I think the reseller piece particularly in the mid market is going to be important for us uh, going forward and we've got uh, a great team in the company uh, leading that initiative for us. Thank you. And then my last question, just on the sales and, and hiring comments, been a lot of caller, you know, on the call. Thank you for all of that. My question's on the process. I'm just wondering, you know, new fiscal year here, Leslie, if you made any noticeable material changes beyond the capacity to the sales organization or to the go-to-market. Thanks. Yeah, well, that is, that is a very insightful uh, question because actually – um, we have built a command of the message process that our, our chief revenue officer and her team have built and put in place uh, that I think is uh, fabulous uh, in, in, in any measure across the industry. It's a superb approach. It makes sense for our customers. Customers, It's about meeting customers where they are and about giving them and showing them value from all of the fabulous best-in-class use cases that we have. So certainly process expectations, everything, you know, so that we can enable people quickly, bring them on quickly. People don't want to be brought on and, you know, wait for months and months to hit their first deal. We brought in people that are doing their, um, you know, doing numbers in the quarter that they arrived in the company, and that's what sales-hungry salespeople want. And I think the enablement process that's been implemented this year has helped that. Okay, I'll hop back in the queue. Thanks for answering my questions this afternoon. Thank you. Your next question is from Drew Foster with Citigroup. Hey, thanks for taking the questions. Uh, Leslie, I wanted to get your view on a theme we've been hearing a lot of in our field work. Um, customers are telling us they're using various point solutions for different uh, pieces of the, this customer experience puzzle today and, and are really hoping to consolidate those vendors in, in 2021. Is that something you're hearing from customers just generally? And, and curious if that was a dynamic that played out as billings reaccelerated here in Q1. Yes, it is something that we're hearing from customers consistently, uh, especially customers that have got three, four, five, or a dozen, in some cases more, uh, survey solutions that have been implemented departmentally around an organization. And also um, where customers have had survey fatigue and low historic response rates. We just won a decision with a retailer around a very low response rate from a major survey player that doesn't have the spectrum that we have. So it's a very consistent message. 
consult if they're going to consolidate, then that implies a massive amount of unstructured data. Which platform should we go with? You know, having FedRAM, FedRAM High, and High Trust is valuable beyond the public sector market. It just gives so much credibility to what we've already said about our platform. Having the ability to operationalize feedback and distribute it in live time to the people that need it uh, is really something that no one can touch us at. Nobody can touch us or come close. And so people want to consolidate those first-generation liquid paper survey market research-oriented solutions into the modern digital platform. And we're seeing some of that still early days but we're definitely seeing that action out there. Got it. And then, uh, Roxanne, how should we think about your assumptions for the back half of the year? I would think that um, given the ratable nature of SaaS revenue, the $2 million upside in Q1 would also benefit the quarters thereafter, but it doesn't seem like that based on the full-year guide um, that that's the case. Anything you have visibility into that's um, giving you more caution, or, or how should we think about that? Well, if you look at our full-year guide, um, that full-year guide is 22 to 23%. And if you look at that from the back half year, not only do you see an acceleration in the Q1 guide that we've given you over, sorry, the Q2 guide that we've given you over Q1, you also see that there's acceleration in the growth subscription growth rates in Q3 and Q4 over the first half of the year. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question is from Brett Nablonk with Berenberg. Hi, guys. Thanks for, for taking my question. As you look at subscription billing, um, how should we think about the growth rate there for, for the remainder of the year? Um, should we expect it to, to grow faster than maybe subscription revenues or uh, any color on that? So I apologize, Brett, you broke up a little bit when you asked, you're asking about the growth rate of subscription what? Subscription uh, billings for the okay. rest of the year relative so, to subscription reserves. Yeah, but we don't we don't guide to billings, and there's multiple metrics that we look at or that you know we all look at, right? You look at CRPO, you can see the strength in our CRPO and our total RPO this quarter. You can see, as Drew highlighted in his comment, the acceleration in our billings growth rate, and we look at it on a 12-month trailing basis. But when you look at where we are from a billings growth rate on a 12-month trailing basis um, and you look at what we're giving you from a guide perspective, um, that implies that you will also see an acceleration in our billings growth rate. So does that, that help? Um, and then maybe on, on back half of the year profitability, it seems like your $21 million non-GAAP operating loss guidance is really for the, the first half, and we would, should expect back half of the year operating income to be about break-even. Um, should we see, I guess, sequential improvements as we enter the, the next year, or how should we think about the cadence of profitability improvements? So, but that's a great question. Um, when you look at, let's start with this year. So when you look at this year, um, you're spot on, right, obviously, that we would see the um, profitability be break-even in the back half of the year. Um, however, I do anticipate that in Q3 we will continue to be in a loss position and then we will be profitable in the Q4 timeframe. Now, you know, as we move forward to FY23, we haven't given guidance, but there are a few things that you should think about or things that we're considering. 
So we are monitoring our investments that we're making um, very closely and benchmarking them against the return that we are anticipating. Um, and we will continue to measure because what we're really focused on is we want to accelerate our subscription growth rate. So when you look at next year and you look at it from a quarterly basis, one, um, you know, I would not assume that we would have this significant um, profit next year, um, but we have not, you know, given you guidance for this year, for next year at this point. But when you also think about next year, I would think about the same seasonality as this year, um, that we would be the, the income or losses would be um, – higher or higher slash lower in the first half of the year than they would be in the second half. It would follow the same seasonality. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question is from Scott Berg with Neiman Company. Hi, we're on. Thanks for taking my questions. I guess, Leslie, let's start off with your customer conference. What type of takeaways did you have this year versus last year or maybe over the last two years, I guess. And then what uh, – how did you view maybe customer engagement in the virtual format versus, you know, more in person, which you're, you know, certainly more used to? Mm. Yeah, super questions go. Yeah. Um, well, you can see that we're adding more and more logos. You can see the progress in the mid-market. It's never enough for me, but it's uh, it's strong uh, given our coverage and the, the ramping of the new people that we brought on. Um, I'm all in on virtual selling, you know, while someone's flying uh, to go and see a customer for 30 minutes, we can call them to their prospects and customers five or six times over, you know, and I think we can get a, a great deal done in this medium and it's working very well. Doing uh, Also implementing, you know, doing 240 go-lives in a quarter, albeit, you know, we're, we're getting to go-lives faster now, we've got more automation, more self-service, so that's what we expected. But getting to that number of go logs for our size of the business uh, virtually is phenomenal. You know, it's a record. And so I think uh, the virtual way of working for us um, as a software company, as a cloud software company, is highly successful. Uh, we're still going to have meetings. We're still going to collaborate. And who knows where the hybrid physical virtual world pendulum will swing. But our team are confined themselves. They're working perhaps uh, too hard in some cases. They're working very hard and they're being successful and they're confident. Uh, and uh, we, we spend a lot of time with one another virtually, making sure that their needs are met, we're supporting one another, and we've got a great team. And, and, and they've really uh, gelled virtually as well as they did physically. Uh, so we're very confident uh, about their ability to use this medium successfully in the future uh, and also take advantage of the physical world uh, when it comes back uniformly around the world. Got it. And then from a from a follow up perspective, uh, Roxanne, your deferred revenue um, on the uh, there's quite a difference between the balance sheet and the uh, cash flow statement this quarter, roughly seven million dollars in, in round numbers. Can you help us understand the difference? I assume it was ac acquisition based, but it's a bigger difference than what we've seen historically. That's a great question, Scott. Um, you know, when I look at the acquired deferred implication on the 12-month growing billings growth rate was about 1%, um, so it was not that, that significant. Um, you know, I don't have anything that specifically comes to mind. 
that would um, stick out. Um, you know that deferred revenue um, on the balance sheet is obviously total deferred, and then we do provide you in our supplemental schedules the staff deferred and, or the subscription deferred, and then our 12-month um, trailing billings growth rate is also calculated on the subscription deferred. Great. That's all I have. Thanks for taking my questions. Thank you. Your next question is from Terry Tillman with Truist Securities. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions, and I'll echo earlier comments in terms of a, a nice improvement in the quarter. Uh, Leslie, maybe the first question relates to looking at software and technology companies. You have some great logos there, HP, LinkedIn, and Oracle. Could you remind us, is this one of the kind of more emerging parts of your business? I mean, how, how does tech stack for you all in terms of mix of business? And, and these three in particular, what were their landings like? Were they sizable or were they more kind of, you know, bite-sized but big future potential? And then I have a question for Roxanne. Yeah, no, these were significant. Uh, these were not buying sites, uh, which is why we called them out. Uh, so I think what's great about your question is that, you know, software companies in particular, but technology companies, think they can do this. And I think when they discover uh, the sophistication and capability and power of our platform, uh, they realize that it, there's a lot more to it. And so actually I think the team that is in place now that is winning in the technology space uh, has done a phenomenal job. I think it's one of the hardest uh, spaces to sell to because people think you're bringing, bringing sand to the beach. You know, they can do it. They're software companies. What's a little bit of feedback? It's just a wee survey. Well, it's not, is it? You know, there's so much more to it. And so I think this is an important beachhead for us, actually. And, you know, you should think of these as seven-figure types of lands, not uh, bite sites. Or, or otherwise a very big bite, maybe. Uh, okay. The, uh, maybe, Roxanne, for you in terms of uh, – you may have mentioned this, but it was really good to see the CRPO growth, I think, at 23%. That's, uh, I don't know, like about five points or so higher than the, the billings growth on a PTM basis. Is the difference there, is that just uh, more periodic billing, so there's just more activity around the non-annual prepay, or was it just timing of when invoices were uh, – you know, sent out that made that difference. Anything more you could add on the difference in the billings growth and CRPO? Thank you. Yeah. So, Terry, as we've uh, shared with you historically, um, we do, we have had a history over the last few quarters of doing these ramp zones where we will have a benefit in our current RPO um, where you won't see it in our billing. And then we're also flexible with customers, even though, um, you know, we, nearly all of our customers still have annual invoicing and they all have all the customer accounts that we share with you are all annual contracts. Um, we do work with our customers from time to time um, because what we are focused on is our subscription revenue growth rate and making sure that we have the appropriate uh, contractual backlog and RPO to support that growth rate. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Your final question is from Parker Lane with Stiefel. 
Yeah, thanks for taking my question. This is Parker Lane on for Tom Roderick. Uh, Leslie, as we think about the largest messaging deal that you signed with the global hotel chain this quarter, um, can you just talk about why now is the right time for them to lean in, um, what they're getting on an incremental basis from a technology perspective, and I guess what the competitive landscape looks like there in the messaging space, um, considering that that's not a technology that a lot of the uh, competitors that you normally bump up with have today? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and I think it kind of reveals the story of where we are, uh, certainly as a country, but uh, as a world, you know, that we, and as Roxanne mentioned, leisure travel coming back faster. Um, but I think it speaks to a couple of things. Number one, the confidence of that particular business and their opportunity and the way that they have pivoted to meet the needs of the traveler uh, today in today's world, which is so much uh, more uh, sophisticated and complicated by the pandemic. Um, but think about touchless messaging. You know, I, when I think it just even without the pandemic, the convenience of touchless messaging that I can actually message for any any of my needs on site or off site. Think about the value of think about the way they think about revenue per available room. Revenue per available room can be affected positively by messaging because the the client can stay in the resort, stay in the hotel, and message for everything they need. They don't have to interact with people. They can even book off site. Uh, venues from uh, from their phone. Secondly, the connection of messaging to feedback. So understanding the pattern of that messaging and associating it with any feedback is the potential here uh, to really understand the, the customer uh, in their entirety. And so to do that, you need way more than survey. You need, you need the digital spectrum that we have. You need the messaging capability. The holy grail is combining messaging with feedback to create this pool of golden data for these organizations, and it applies. We've got messaging deals going in retail. We've got messaging deals going in restaurants as well. It's not just hospitality. Think about it in the travel context. The fewer, reduce my physical interactions to high-quality, essential interactions, everything else I can do on my phone. But that messaging needs to be captured as a corporate asset for our customers, not left to dwindle away as a personal messaging service. That's why messaging... Uh, as we have built it, is is the right way to go for corporate corporations. A major opportunity for us, and I expect to report more success in this business as we go through the year. Got it. Maybe one last one. On the public sector side of things, just given the scale of those um, organizations, I mean, how big of an opportunity do you see for employee experience down the line? And would it be fair to say that most of these new deals you've had in, in public sector have been CX so far? Yes, that's the right, the right commentary they have. There's one or two employee implementations, but they're only going to increase. Uh, again, treating uh, employees like citizens in the public sector case, treat employees like customers. This is the epiphany of the pandemic. And for that, you need the same digital capability as you give to your customers, and that's Medallia. So I see a massive opportunity for us in uh, public sector, not just that federal uh, state and local in the U.S., but globally as well. And to the earlier question point, we need to continue to increase our investment in that team. Yeah, very helpful. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.